Connecting for positive change. Hello and welcome to the first in a short series of podcasts that we are doing focusing on industrial decarbonisation and in particular the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund which provided by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. My name is Jenny McDonnell and this podcast series is being brought to you by Innovate UK's KTN. The purpose of this podcast series is to encourage the deployment of industrial energy efficiency and decarbonisation technology on industrial sites with support from the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund. The fund is providing capital investment to industrial sites to help them to reduce their energy demand and carbon emissions associated with their industrial process, which can be very energy intensive. A link to the competition guidance for this fund can be found in the description below. And I'd also recommend signing up to KTN's newsletters and updates on to get updates about the IETF funding. The summer competitions are open right now and they close on the 9th of September, but there will be a further round of funding in the autumn too. So by staying in touch with KTN, you'll be able to find out when that opens. So following on from this first podcast today on policy and standards, we're going to continue with podcasts from uh, industrial site owners who've already benefited from the IETF support. They'll be talking about what they're doing with the money and as well speaking to some of the delivery partners who have experience to share on how to implement industrial decarbonisation in the UK. So joining me today on our first podcast, I'm very pleased to say we have Sebastian Van Dort from BSI Group and also Rachel Arbor from Bayes' IETF policy team. So hello to you both. Would you like to introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a little bit about your role and your involvement in supporting industrial decarbonisation? So Rachel, would you like to go first? Hi, uh, yes, um, uh, I'm Rachel Arbor, so uh, I'm uh, in the policy team for the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund. Um, I've been in the team for about uh, two years now um, and uh, was relatively involved in the, the development of the fund um, from, from 2020 onwards um, and I'm greatly enjoying the job. Excellent, thank you. And, and Seb, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm, I'm Seth Van Dord, I'm the Associate Director for Energy and Sustainability um, at uh, BSI, we're the national standards body, and so we support the UK with its national standards and needs, and, and we represent the UK voice into international standards making with organisations like SEN, Senelec and, and ISO. Um, my core focus is to ensure that we uh, work uh, with government and industry and position standards uh, so that they help deliver policy outcomes and accelerate the transition to net zero. That's great. Well, thanks to you both for making time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. So let's start by setting the scene for our listeners. Rachel, could you explain the importance of industrial decarbonisation? Why is the government supporting the industrial sectors to reduce their energy demand and carbon emissions? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I think the answer is actually quite simple. So industry contributes to about 16% of total UK emissions which means that if we want to meet net zero by 2050, industry needs to decarbonise. Mm -hmm. Now, HMT, HMG sorry, uh, really does appreciate that these measures that reduce energy consumption and emissions are costly, and it's not necessarily something that industry can do completely on their own at the moment. 
um, industry's needs are so nuanced um, and these technologies take a lot of time to research and implement. Um, and that's really why the government's committing so much support via the IETF um, and other funds as well, like the net zero hydrogen and, and carbon capture infrastructure funds, um, to name a few. Okay, thank you very much. And Seb, I, I think we can both agree with Rachel that industrial decarbonisation is a worthwhile thing to do. And I was wondering if you could highlight some of the work that BSI has been involved in to develop new standards to, to drive a change and move industrial sectors, such as manufacturing, towards uh, net zero carbon? Yeah, so firstly, I, uh, I agree with Rachel there. Industrial decarbonisation is key for us to meet um, net zero by, by 2050. And as I mentioned, for us, it's core to, to ensure that we position standards where it help deliver on policy outcomes and accelerate that transition to net zero. And, and so we've been very active in this space. And, and when we look at the industrial decarbonisation strategy, I've been very pleased that it highlights the importance of standards. I think it mentions it 41 times. And, and so it, it sort of highlights all the areas where it should sort of uh, where, where standards are absolutely essential and so we know that as the UK national standards body our, our work is is essential to support the, the sort of strategy so some of the work that we've been doing uh, there's, there's a variety of areas and um, the more and more I, uh, you know, I joined BSI sort of three years ago and, and the more I joined it it seemed like um, the matrix for standards are required everywhere particularly in this sort of transition that, that we're sort of facing and so the work that we're doing there's some new work we're kicking off with, with OPSS, the unit in base, where we look at net zero standards for products. Um, and, and we're looking to create an overarching standard for net zero products in relation to um, the four R's, reduce, reuse, recycle and renew. Mm -hmm. um, we also do a lot of work in, in hydrogen. So we sit on a lot of the influencing and, you know, influencing and direction setting groups and task forces including the Hydrogen Regulators Forum, Gas Goes Green. And so we do a lot of work in, in, in this space and we have a lot of bespoke standards work. We obviously have our committees that, that look at hydrogen in different sectors, but in particular, we are currently doing a programme with BASE uh, or sponsored by BASE called Hydrogen for Heat, where we're looking at hydrogen for heating as a decarbonisation pathway for um, domestic heat and light commercial premises. We also produce some roadmaps for hydrogen use in heavy goods vehicles uh, and, and also in aviation. Uh, another thing where we work closely with BASE is ISO 50005. Um, the industrial decarbonisation strategy specifically mentions energy management systems and, and ISO 50001, but also highlighted um, that for SMEs, ISO 50005 uh, might be the first step to get to grips with energy management and it provides a much easier and faced approach. So we've been working closely with Bayes and the Race to Zero campaign to supply 100,000 free copies. That is free because Bayes uh, sponsored it. Uh, and, and SMEs can um, download this standard for free if they go to the SME Climate Hub and then start their um, um, energy management journey. There are many more sort of examples, but I think for, uh, for the nature of this sort of podcast, that probably provides a good overview of some of the work that we're doing to support industrial decarbonisation. That's great. Thank you, Seb. And, and if it's OK with you, we'll pop a link to that uh, SME Climate Hub on the, the bottom on the description for the podcast. Absolutely, yeah. I'll help people to find that. That's great. So a question for both of you now, and, and I appreciate that this is subject to external factors, so it's not something that you can give a definite answer on. Um, but what level of carbon emission reduction do you think is achievable by 2050? 
Um, are you optimistic that we will meet our carbon targets? And if so, can you give some examples of why you think we're on the right track? So Rachel, would you like to go first on that one? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I think we'd love to be able to say <laughs> with, um, with certainty, but as you say, there is a lot of external factors that come into play here. Um, I think um, reaching net zero is um, by 2050 is ambitious, but it's definitely something that we think is achievable. Um, there are a lot of examples that prove that we're on the right track. Um, and, you know, as we've sort of gone through, there is a lot of support that's currently up and running that will also show um, a lot of improvement um, as, as the years go on and we're able to see the benefits of, of all of those various funds and schemes. Um, I think uh, highlights for me, uh, obviously, to, to name drop the IETF, um, the IETF is future proofing industry by helping first movers reduce their energy consumption and emissions, um, which sort of allows people to, to, to get a little bit of a head start on, on these kind of technologies if they're, if they're able to. Um, mm -hmm. Other examples include uh, phase one of the cluster sequencing process. So um, those, this, this, uh, this scheme has created two, two clusters, uh, the high net and the east, close, east coast cluster, um, which are gonna act as economic hubs for green jobs in line with the ambition to capture about 20 to 30 metric tons um, of CO2 by 2030, which is a, a huge ambition. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, internally uh, across government, we're also looking to develop um, various resource and energy efficiency measures um, with an ambition of achieving, um, I think it's around 11 metric tons of, of carbon emission savings um, by 2035. Uh, and there are many, many other things um, that are going on as well. But I think we're moving in the right direction um, for, for, for sure. That's great. And, and the other, you mentioned the two um, industrial clusters that are part of that sequencing project, but the other industrial clusters as well, I know are working on their, their roadmap for industrial decarbonisation too, with support from the government. Um, so that's really good to hear. And the nice thing about the IETF as well is that it's not just supporting the clusters, but it's also supporting individual industrial sites uh, around the Wales and Northern Ireland. So um, Seb, would you like to answer that question as well? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one. So as, as the national standards body, we sort of use net zero as a sort of North Star, but, but recognise that there's sort of many twists and turns uh, as, as, you know, we, we sort of start to embark on that transition. And I think uh, recent uh, geopolitical um, events have, have shown that, that, you know, we need to be sort of uh, adaptable, but, but very much have net zero in, in our sights. Um, Interestingly, the Committee for Climate Change has recently produced its annual progress report. Um, this report assesses the strength and credibility of the government ambition and policy areas across the economy. The Committee on Climate Change highlighted that you know, the UK government has a, uh, you know, a solid net zero strategy in place, but it also highlighted that important policy gaps remain. It mentioned some bright spots like offshore wind, uh, renewable energy generation and electric vehicle take up, but also highlighted some shortcomings, most notably farming and farmland use. So the view of the committee is that the policy framework is not yet fully in place to drive the uh, uh, large programme of delivery required to, to you know, meet the, the target set. And, and so from this, we, we can establish that the CTC thinks that we are currently not on track. Now, I know that government will reply to the uh, CCC's report. Um, from that, I, th I think it's interesting because 
you know, I think we have to recognise that net zero is, is sort of highly ambitious and, and, and a, and a uh, long-term journey and goal. Mm. And with that in mind, I'm going to be um, optimistic and, and say that we are going to, to reach it because A, optimism is, is much nicer, but also I think um, there is a bit of a groundswell. And I think last year, COP26 sort of showed the, the commitment. And, and I think in particularly recently, Mark Carney talked at the World Economic Forum and mentioned that 40% of global private financial assets over 130 trillion is now being committed to manage uh, assets to support the transition to net zero. And so when I look at this, I, I think it might be a bit like a snowball. If we look, let's say, the, the policy drivers of 2030 when we're banning combustion engines, it means that we won't sell any conventional cars and we're only going to um, sell um, electric vehicles in the um, domestic uh, sense. At the moment, you know, we're a quarter into this sort of decade, it is still going slowly. But as we start to get to 2030, it becomes a sort of classic hockey stick. And then most of us will be driving electric vehicles. And I think my feeling is that this is what the wider net zero transition will look like. Slow at first and then faster and then unbelievably fast. And before we know it, we're in a sort of very different, uh, different world. So I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to say we're going to reach net zero by 2050. That's excellent. I'm, I'm pleased that you are optimistic. Um, I do think as well, the from a, the industrial decarbonisation side of things, um, the CCC were, were quite complimentary. I think my personal experience talking to different uh, manufacturers and industrial sites is that over, particularly over the last two or three years, is something that is part of their their own personal strategies now whereas it wasn't before so i agree with you i think that snowball is building and we will see some a positive change so uh, seb a lot of work's already been done to support industrial decarbonization as you've mentioned in your mind are there any other areas that still need to be addressed in terms of standards to ensure the benefits of net zero carbon solutions can accurately be reported so making sure that we are comparing apples with apples when we're we're looking at um, net zero. Yeah, I, I sort of have a slightly sort of broader answer to that, but yeah, um, I mean, firstly, a great deal of standards sort of already exist. But, but as I mentioned before, when I joined BSI about three years ago, um, it, it did became sort of like a matrix, and I saw the need for standards everywhere. And I think it is because we're very much in that transition, and so. I think, you know, there's the obvious ones, sort of life cycle assessment and product labelling where we believe standards are needed. There's an interesting um, um, area of carbon intensity slash carbon quantification. We um, at BSI have a net zero strategic advisory group and, and we have, um, it's chaired by, by Laura Sanders. It's got um, a, a lot of members on there, including the Committee for Climate Change. And one of the things that, that Laura specifically talks about, and she's very right here, is... Um, she calls it carbon flows, but ensuring that carbon is consistently, transparently, incredibly quantified at key points in, in different sectors. And, and, and I think that is sort of key. Um, we discussed this actually in, in with, with government as well. And, and government said that they want something like this as well, or that there is a need for that because government, you know, is, is making decisions um, to reach net zero, but they need to have certainty that the um, decisions have the intended impact of lowering CO2 emissions. So you need to have a sort of credible um, area there. Then when I look at sort of wider um, industrial decarbonisation, um, there are just so many areas that, that, that I think, you know, standards really support um, and, and hopefully accelerate that, that transition. You know, when we look at some of the things that we mentioned earlier, when we look at big industrial 
processes like carbon capture and storage. You can think of anything from measurements, you know, how do we measure captured carbon? How do we know that, that you know, carbon has been safely stored? How do we know that um, that carbon stays under the ground? And, and, and what is the sort of consensus driven standard that we all agree on that, that, that that's uh, correct? You know, hydrogen, we mentioned that already, but, you know, green hydrogen standards and, and the various production pathways, safety standards there. Um, the other area that I think is going to be sort of quite important is if we're talking about net zero and, and we're talking a lot about um, negative emissions or, or, or you know, carbon uh, removals, again, we, we, need, we need to have the credibility there and, and standards there to make sure that we can rely on, uh, on those claims that, that are being made. So those are just some areas that I think um, standards are needed, but, but there's probably quite a few more and I can go on for, uh, <laughs> for quite a long time on, on, on the need for standards in different areas. No, that's great. Thank you so much for that. Just to give us a, a flavour of what where we still need to, to work on, on standards. Um, and, and finally, a question that I know our listeners will want to, me to ask you, Rachel, is about future support from government. So um, what can we expect to see in terms of future maybe capital investment or tax incentives, et cetera, to keep up the momentum that the IETF has started? A lot of quick wins have been achieved with support from the IETF, but we're getting to the complicated stuff now, the, the kind of harder to decarbonize stuff. So how is the government going to support the industrial processes that are harder to decarbonize in the future? Yeah, I think I, I, I think you're right. You know, some of the easy wins um, will be will be sort of facilitated through the IETF, and some of the the harder wins as well. You know, the IETF does deploy um, deep decarbonisation technologies, just as it deploys energy efficiency um, technologies and support studies as well. So the IETF has really been um, paving the way. I think it's fair to say um, for industrial decarbonisation. Um, specifically in those sort of deployment areas. Um, there are a lot of options out there. Um, I am sympathetic to industry because I think sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming when you when you can see all of these various funds that have very specific criteria um, for applications. And I think um, those that are interested can also um, go and have a look um, go and have a look online and there are documents like the net zero strategy and the industrial decarbonisation strategy that also do give quite comprehensive overviews um, of you know what we're doing at the moment and what we hope to do in the future um, but I think um, the the headliners for me um, for, for, for industry to keep an eye out for is um, HMT super deduction scheme so that has been around uh, for a while but I think it is it is um, it is quite an important um, area of support that the that, that government is providing at the moment. So um, the super deduction scheme allows businesses to cut their tax bill by up to 25p for every pound that they invest. So in terms of tax incentives, that's the one that I would I would highlight there. Um, and uh, I think in particular, those interested in CCUS should keep an eye out for uh, track two of the cluster sequencing scheme. Um, there are obviously other funds um, that are in the works as well, uh, also funds that are continuing um, continuing work, such as the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund and um, the Industrial Hydrogen Accelerator. 
um, information on those can be found online. Um, and for those who are sort of still looking in a, a bit more of an innovation space, because obviously we have to have to appreciate that um, there are many companies that are still sort of developing their options at the moment. Um, there are funds such as the Industrial Energy Efficiency Accelerator. So the fourth phase of that is currently open and that's um, gonna be uh, running applications through to September of this year. Um, and then you've also got uh, in, in future, you've got phase two of the industrial fuel switching competition, which is going to be opening uh, later this year. That's great. And I believe there's an event as well for the industrial fuel switching taking place on the 12th of July. So um, I'll pop, we'll pop a link in the description if you uh, listeners, if you would like to attend that. Um, I, I, a big thumbs up for the super deduction tax incentive as well. I think that's a great scheme. And it is also, um, you can use it with the IETF funding um, to as a for the assets that you're buying and deploying on your site, you can then claim the super deduction tax. Um, so that's a great one. We'll also pop links to that in the description for you as well. So um, unfortunately, time's got better of us, and uh, I think we need to draw things to a close now. But thank you so much to Rachel and Seb for we're privileged to have you with us today and to learn about policies and standards driving that change in industrial decarbonisation in the UK. Thank you everyone for listening to our podcast. Um, as I said, there'll be more podcasts coming up in this short series. Any links mentioned today and a direct link to Innovate UK KTN's website, uh, you will find in the description below the podcast. So don't forget to sign up to receive our newsletters so that you don't miss any of the funding that Rachel mentioned there. In the next episode, we'll be hearing from some of the industrial site owners who have received support from the IETF. So until then, thanks again for listening and goodbye.